Hey, what is going on, everybody? And welcome to Listen Money Matters. Remember that time when you learned how to do your taxes in college? We don't either. <laughs> my name is Thomas, and I'm here, as always, with my good friend, Andrew, who I'm guessing never learned to do taxes in college. What are you drinking, dude? <laughs> I did not. Uh, I found a limited run of Magic Hat. It's Jinx, and it's like uh, this scotch ale. It's really good. Like finished in scotch barrels or something like that? Something like that. Uh, Very nice. A, it's a toast to dancing bonfires. The Scotch Ale oh, okay. hosts of co- uh, chocolate and all kinds of fancy things. What are you drinking, dude? Well, uh, you're going to make fun of me. Kale juice. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm drinking kale juice. Oh, my God. You're the worst. <laughs> I was going to run out and get a coffee, but I just didn't have time. I needed to prep for the show, and you wanted to be on time and everything today, so... The kale juice in the fridge is just, it was there. You know? I saw this picture on Instagram <laughs> and it was of a supermarket uh, right near Hurricane uh, Harvey and it was like barren except for the one section of all the vegan stuff. Like it was complete, like people will no be dying. Of, yeah. Not eating in weeks, but I will not have a vegan burger no matter what. Well, you clearly live in a very different area than from where I live because here in Colorado, the vegan section is what's usually barren. <laughs> and my favorite kind of kale juice is always sold out of Whole Foods, so I had to go for like my second favorite today. Oh my god! And there's multiple <laughs> kinds of kale juice. There's so many kinds. I can educate you later on, but we don't have time for that right now, guys. Today on the show, we have a guest who uh, I have been following for quite a long time, Adam Braun, who most of you probably know as the founder of Pencils for Promise, or sorry, Pencils of Promise, that helps to build schools in developing countries. But Adam, you're working on a new project now that I'm actually really excited about called Mission U. And yeah. uh, I know I think, Andrew, I don't know if you're going to title it this, but the note in our document just says the problem with college. We were talking about how your wife, who edits our podcast and does all this audio engineering, graduated with a degree in sociology. And you were thinking about it, and you're like, I can't think of a single friend of mine who's actually using the degree they went to college and spent four years going through classes to earn. Yeah, I, I know people uh, with degrees in geology who don't touch rocks, political scientists who don't follow politics. Like, it's kind of, I guess, a rite of passage to get a degree, a useless degree, you know, one that yeah, you don't exactly. use. So, Adam, it seems like you are starting another college of sorts. What's the idea behind this? Yeah, sure. So uh, Mission U is a debt-free college alternative uh, built for the 21st century. And you know, as you alluded to, uh, I spent you know my, my last eight years or so focused on uh, education internationally through creating Pencils of Promise and leading that. Now you know we've built 400 schools and, and we have about 70,000 students in our programs every single day. Um, but you know, after um, uh, I wrote uh, my book, uh, The Promise of a Pencil. And, you know, it started to get used on a lot of college campuses as the common freshman read. I would get invited to all these different types of schools. And, of course, I would go and, you know, speak with students on campus who had read the book and, you know, kind of hear their stories. And I was always encouraging everybody to get involved in international education for these children that didn't have access to any. And, you know, every type of campus I went to, whether it was an elite private school, whether it was a small community college, um, and I've been to literally every type of school, there was always a very um, vocal set of students that were saying, look, I'm, you know, we think what you're doing abroad is great, but we have a really broken education system here at home. Mm -hmm. And it would be really, really great if you could do something 
you know, to help some of the challenges we have here. And, you know, as, as you referenced, um, when I met my wife, she had over a hundred thousand dollars of student debt without a bachelor's degree. And yeah, I mean, it was wild, you know, she, um, you know, has just a really loving family, but you know, they didn't have a lot of financial means, great people, but you know, weren't, you know, necessarily, um, in a position of, of financial privilege where they could afford to send her to school. And so, you know, that's the position of most people in this country. And so, you know, she kind of bought into that idea that we've sold, you know, every young person, uh, uh, in the United States on, which is like, you go to college and then you end up of course, with a better job and a better life ahead. And that's just not the case anymore. Um, the whole landscape has changed so drastically just in terms of the cost of college, the burden that students and their families have to take on, as well as the employer side of like what you look for when you hire and how much does a college degree matter or not versus yeah. the actual skills that you're looking to hire for. And so we designed Mission U uh, from scratch um, to think about if you were to create an institution of higher education today for that type of student who you know, really is eager about building a great life and career ahead, what would that look like? And, and ultimately that's what we created. How many people have you hired, Adam? In my in my life, um, yeah, I mean hundreds, it's, hundreds, it's hundreds. Yeah, I mean, you know, Pencil Promise right now has uh, well over a hundred full time staff in in four different countries, and um, you know, I, I built and ran businesses even before Pencil Promise, and now with Mission U, we have a, a pretty substantial and growing staff. So it's it's certainly in the hundreds. That's amazing. I've got a team of eight or nine people at this point, and. Mm -hmm many of them it was just sort of like a in the right place at the right time you're a good friend you can be on the team i've gone mm -hmm. through two experiences of actually hiring somebody at this point i'm curious to know what are some of the factors that in your mind stick out as the reason that you pick somebody over everyone else they're competing with yeah so it, it tends to be a combination of things the first one i would touch on is the demonstration of passion and conviction for what we're actually creating and so, you know, you might have a, a raw skill set um, that I need, um, but you're probably going to get hired as a part-time contractor until I have conviction that you actually are dedicated in the same way that myself and the team and the culture that we're building uh, is to the long-term vision of the company. And so, like, do you deeply care about what we're doing and, and demonstrate that? I think the second is this whole set of soft skills that when you speak to most employers, you hear over and over and over again which is, you know, are they an effective and persuasive communicator, both, you know, over email as well as, you know, um, just generally written as well as in person and, you know, kind of um, in presentation style. Uh, do they work well with a team? I mean, that's huge, right? Are they a collaborative team uh, member? Are they a good critical thinker? Are they a creative problem solver? Um, and all those things kind of surface uh, up to a series of character traits that you could identify, you know, as simple as like professionalism. Right. Do they show up on time? Uh, do they go above and beyond when you ask them for three things? Do they come back with two? Do they come back with three? Or are they the type of person that comes back with the three that you asked for and two more new ideas that they think yes. could be, you know, really credible and worth exploring? And I, I look for that kind of um, proactivity. And then the final one, which, you know, it is almost like the underlying uh, essential factor is do they have the competency that I need for that role? So if it's a more technical role, you know, even something like graphic design, like I'm going to look at their design portfolio. Frankly, I don't care where they went to school. You know, the, the name uh, of the school that they went to might be helpful for credibility building. But, you know, I've showed this with a lot of people. I think that what shows up when I Google search your name on that front page has a much bigger impact as to whether you're going to get in the door for an interview uh, more so than where you went to college and certainly whether or not you graduated. Oh, yeah. yeah. So. Typically, when people hear college, 
they think four years. And then if like you kind of half-assed it or something, maybe it's two years. And, you know, you're talking about these soft skills and all these other areas. Um, it sounds like you almost want to quarter-ass it in that you're saying your college mm-hmm. education is going to be one year. And so my question to you is, why do you, do you yeah. think that you could build these soft skills in a year, you know, or is it for people who have already gone to college and it's kind of an extension of? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, just a couple of data points to start maybe. So the percentage of students that enter a four-year program nationally, and maybe I'll ask you guys, what do you think um, is the percentage of students nationally that enter a four-year program and graduate in four years? Oh man, I should know this. It's low. It's 18%. Whoa. Yeah. That's so, really bad. <laughs> yeah. So so the percentage that will graduate from a four-year program in six years is 59%. Mm. So it's still barely over half, right? Like if you bought any product, if you bought like an iPhone and they were like, look, it's going to work 59% of the time, you'd be like, <laughs> this product is not working. It's broken. Um, and, and that's in a six-year horizon, not a four. So, so the first thing that I think like we all need to acknowledge is the uh, notion of a bachelor's degree is no longer a four-year experience. It's actually a six-year experience in this country, mm-hmm. primarily because a lot of students actually can't get the classes that they need to graduate because yeah. you know, certain colleges are just over flooded and like you can't get that requirement to finish your major. There's a technicality or like, you know, you need to work to help your family, whatever it might be. Um, it's, kind of, it's kind of crazy. That, like I have to give students the tip that wake up the moment you can sign up for classes and get yeah. your classes. Otherwise you won't graduate in time. It, it seems a little ridiculous that our system forces you into doing something like that. Yep. No, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more. The other thing to keep in mind is how little time is actually spent on the learning experience across those six years. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can self-admit that um, in my you know college experience, I didn't go to that many of my classes, certainly not my mm-hmm. freshman or sophomore. I barely went. I was like, I can just learn this out of a book. Why do I need to go and waste my time in, in a lecture hall? Same. And I was then, just an you know, asshole, I, though. Right, right. But like, then you kind of, you know, if, if you understand the system, you do the bare minimum to get the grade. Right. And so it's like, how can I do the least amount to get the best grade possible? And that's not how um, work actually uh, operates. There's not grades in work. It's like, do you actually master and demonstrate that you can do the thing that your you know, manager is asking of you or, you know, if you're an entrepreneur that your customer is asking of you, et cetera. So yeah. uh, when we designed Mission U, we thought about, OK, you know, what are the three core elements that any person needs to demonstrate to really succeed in getting a great job and, and ultimately being a positive contributor to an excellent company over the long haul? You know, the first was this foundational set of hard and soft skills that makes you valuable to any company. Um, so I started my career at Bain. Uh, they have this incredible training ground. I hire relentlessly out of Bain because I find that, you know, if I hire someone from Bain, I know that I can drop them in on any problem and they can immediately crush it. And so we train them on essentially the main skill set. It's things like uh, project management, business writing, uh, those soft skills I was talking about, Excel modeling, a basic tech foundation, um, public speaking, et cetera. And that's your first trimester across our year. The second trimester is a deep dive on your major. And the first major that we're offering is in data analytics and business intelligence. So this is this like explosively growing field. Um, you know, the main tools that you have to master are Python and SQL. And in that first trimester, you become you know, a guru on Excel modeling. And like, I can tell you, I was a business economics major at Brown and I had no idea how to build an Excel model when I went out for yeah. my first job. And that's how I spent like 80% of my time. So, you know, um, you see on college, they don't actually teach the skills, they teach oftentimes theory, but that's not what's gonna get you hired. And exactly. then the, the third part of the year 
is real world work experience. It's an embedded internship um, where we scope out a project with a real company or a nonprofit organization, and you actually go to work. And this way, you know, we think about, you know, what, what do employers look for? It's, you know, not only the competency, but it's a public portfolio that shows that you can do the thing they're looking for, references and a robust resume. And so across the course of our year, you not only get all three of those things, but it's also much more intensive. It's, it's a significant time commitment because you're in small group cohorts. These aren't like huge lecture halls where you can kind of duck in the back. And so when we actually did out the math, uh, what we saw is that, you know, most people spend around two years focused on their major. Uh, and at Mission U, uh, in our one year, the actual time commitment is more than you would spend in those two years on your major. So it's really just concentrated. Yeah. Yeah. When yeah. I think back to my major, I mean, every time I think back and I, I comb through my memories for where I gained my technical skill set, it was in my part-time jobs on campus or my internship yeah. or we had one class where the entire point of the class was you pick a project most of the groups in the class actually worked with a company in the area to build something for them. And actually, at the beginning of the semester, they came in and they were like, hey, we're changing this class this year. It's going to be lecture-based. There's going to be a book. And the students and I in the class fought against it and ended up going all the way up to the administration of the, of the college and said, we don't want this. Like, we've been promised this capstone class where we're going to do a project the entire semester. And they reverted it to the project-based class and that yeah. ended up being the most I ever learned in a college class, I think, with the, per, with the impossible exception of my public speaking classes, mm -hmm. because it was literally just, you got to build this thing. Yeah. And it's not, you know, do fizz buzz out of a textbook. Right. It's, yeah, I mean, you have to solve this problem, go figure out how to do it. You're digging through documentation of whatever coding language you've chosen. And at the end, like you show what you've built and that's what you're judged on. Right, totally. I mean, my, my college experience is very similar. You know, I took a lot of, um, call it requirements to um, fulfill my major. I also took a lot of classes like totally out of the box just because they were interesting. Um, but at the same time, if I think across the whole spectrum, probably the most valuable class outside of one class that I took on public speaking was the three independent studies that I did where I found a professor and they were like, I'll sponsor you to do an independent study. And I wrote business plans for businesses that became real. And I actually worked on something that was connected to the real world. Um, but the, the other part of Mission U that I think is, is really important to um, explain uh, probably to, to your audience is, you know, <clears throat> there's two major issues with college today. The first is this complete lack of skills that people are, are acquiring uh, or, or lack thereof by the time they finish. But the second is, you know, m most people are leaving school with just insurmountable crippling levels of debt, right? You had mentioned yeah. that before, um, but I, I you know, and you seem like a really nice guy, but I don't think that you're funding it for these students. So you only bring in rich people. No, no, no. So, so the way that the way that it works at Mission U is is almost the opposite. I mean, the vast majority of our students are what I would consider lower and working class families. Mm. Um, so uh, again, I, I saw what happened to my wife. I've you know really deeply studied this landscape, and you know, essentially, college is supposed to be the great enabler, and it's actually creating a, a bigger and bigger divide between the haves and have-nots. And so. We designed um, a, a tuition model that is completely different from pretty much every single college in the country a, as a college alternative. And so the way it works at Mission U is uh, once you get into Mission U, uh, there is zero dollars in upfront tuition. And so uh, we entirely invest um, in our students for a full year uh, at no cost to them. And what they commit to uh, as part of that is that once they complete our program, uh, and they go on to find their great job and career, which obviously we heavily support them through. 
what they commit to is 15% of income comes back to Mission U for three years only when they're making $50,000 or more. And if they don't okay. hit that within a certain time frame, they actually end up with us nothing. And so um, there's also no interest rate on top of that. I mean, the thing that crushes most people with their student debt is really high interest rates, which yeah. people rarely speak about. Um, but you know, we set up a model that meant that there's no way for Mission U to succeed unless our students are succeeding. Um, and it also allows for a student who comes from you know, a more challenging financial background to get into the program and literally incur no tuition cost a- a- across the course of their full year experience. And they would only contribute if and when they're successful afterwards. So if I wanted to be part of Mission U, I- I'm mm-hmm. like 32. Um, okay. You know, I've gone to college. Let's say I did geology, something yeah. like that. W- am I too old? Is, is the fact no. that I've gone to college like a like a negative almost? Or are you only no. looking for freshies? Like no, Thomas? no, no. <laughs> so, so a couple of things. So, um, you know, our, our kind of target that we think of is closer to 18 to 29. Um, so it's more in that traditional age range that said in our first cohort, we do have students that range between 18 and 39. So, you know, we had folks that were in their thirties that we just thought were a great fit for the program. The majority of people that we are looking for, um, are pre bachelor degree attainment. So they don't have a full bachelor's degree because what we real ultimately want to do is prove that there's you know a new model that somebody can pursue without having to go through this huge extent of cost and time commitment of, of attaining a bachelor's degree to be successful, right? Yes. But um, the majority of our students uh, do have some type of college credit. So they've either gone to a two-year or a four-year institution. You know, they've gone somewhere between you know half a semester and three years. And for various reasons, they've either decided, okay, it just is way too expensive. It doesn't make sense, or I'm not getting the actual skills and learnings. I mean, we have a, a student in the current cohort that was at GW, just finished his junior year there and looked out and said, I can either pay $55,000 for another year to go here and not acquire the skills that I need, or I can go to Mission U. I'm going to go to Mission U. Um, so, you know, it, it, it really ranges, but I wouldn't tell you not to apply. Mm. Um, the other thing to, to be aware of is, we actually don't look at SAT or GPA whatsoever in the application process. Um, they're entirely removed. Uh, we don't think that they're great indicators of future potential. Uh, what, we think they're great are? indicators. Yeah, so um, those those core set of soft skills that I was describing, how well do you work in teams? Are you a you know critical problem solver? A baseline uh, of quantitative ability. So like, are you do you have you know the ability to do basic arithmetic because data analytics does require some type of math? We don't want to yeah. do remediation, but you don't have to be like some advanced math whiz to get into our program. Um, but our application uh, is four steps. You, you provide information about yourself and your background and you know what motivates you in the first step. In the second step, you uh, you know go through a series of, of um, problems that are done online uh, and you can use Google or any other resource except for another human because that's how the real world tends to work. Mm. Um, but the most interesting one for us is Uh, the group project so you know you think about traditional college application it's entirely individualized but real world work is is a team sport and so when you get to the third step uh you join a live virtual classroom online uh you're given a prompt and you and three others work on a presentation for 35 minutes that you present to one of our admission staff at the end and that whole thing is recorded and and at the end you self-assess your own performance you assess the other peers including who you'd want to work with on a real world project you know you know, who was the best collaborator and then three different people on our team assess that. And that helps us surface who we want to advance to the final round where you write an essay uh, about how mission you would change your life. And we see how committed you are to the program um, and then a 30 minute individual interview. And that gives us a sense of, of who we want to bring in.
So I have a couple of questions for you um, regarding the common objections that like people entrenched in the old educational system have to new models, like what you're doing or like what maybe Seth Godin is doing or even people who are just saying like, go, you know, learn on your own. And obviously, you know, at this scale you're operating at right now, these objections don't hold as much water because it's like, you know, you have how many students are in the first cohort? So we had uh, almost 5,000 applicants for the first 25 spots, and that okay, was with so no 25. paid marketing. Yeah, so so it's actually closer to 30, but um, you also have a month once you enter the program to decide if it's right for you. Um, gotcha. So it's, it, you know, all, all cohorts are about 25 to 30 students. Okay, so you've got 25 students. Clearly that's a small enough sample size that every single one of them could go out and be hired by a startup or a company that just thinks the way that you think. A lot of people in higher education will be like on a grand scale, number one, a lot of older organizations, big companies that do a lot of hiring are still entrenched in the old model that looks at GPAs and things like that. So there's that whole signaling value um, argument. And then the other one is like going to university for four years gives you a well-rounded education. It makes you culturally um, competent. (laughs) It gives you that liberal arts education. Is that worth what you're paying? Mm. Well, is the signaling I, value worth it on a grand scale for people who maybe, you know, there's too many graduates to fill those startup spots? Yeah. So I'll take the second question first. I mean, I think that we have this um, this false perception uh, because it's been built up over so many years that uh, everyone that goes to any liberal arts school has some fantastic worldly experience that makes them a whole human that they couldn't get just by being a human alive in the world through those four years, right? <laughs> I mean, it's like this distinctly American thing that like you have to be on a leafy green campus for four years to become a holistic human because that's actually not the way that it works in any other country. I mean, you spend time in Europe, you spend time in, um, you know, South America, uh, any parts of like, you know, greater Africa, Australia, et cetera. And the college experience is is one that is not heavily residential. It's one where, you know, you live in, you know, maybe it's a place that isn't necessarily your parents' um, home, and therefore you start to meet new people, you're exposed to new ideas, you probably start to spend more time in cities, and then you go to a physical campus oftentimes, and nowadays a little bit more online, for um, your more academic experience. And so, you know, my big belief is that um, there are certain institutions, of which there are very few, that actually deliver on the true promise of this holistic liberal arts uh, experience, but very few students are actually experiencing that. You know, and then when you look at the return on investment of you know higher education, I would argue that there's probably only 50 max schools in the country where you can reliably assume that spending four to six years on that campus to get a degree is going to tremendously outweigh the incredible cost that you're going to incur. But there's 4,400 registered colleges in the United States, and so you know that's actually a small sample size. Is the people that we're thinking of as like getting this great liberal arts, the vast majority are not having that experience. They're taking gen ed classes that aren't going to be relevant, and they're racking up huge debt just to get a piece of paper that may or may not qualify them. So, so that's how I think about um, you know that question of like, does everyone need this liberal arts education? I, I think what you need is a broad exposure to different types of people, ideas, and experiences. And you can do that without taking on an insane amount of debt. Um, so to your point uh, around the first question of, you know, um, how uh, entrenched is this idea of like needing a bachelor's degree to get a job at big companies? You know, I think there's certain career paths where it's necessary. So if you're gonna be a doctor, you know, if you're gonna be a lawyer, chances are you probably need that um, accredited post-secondary degree. But the big shift that a lot of people aren't uh, acknowledging or, or, or fully aware of is that 
you know, in the next uh, five years, the vast majority of individuals that are making hiring decisions uh, will be millennials, right? It's it's not going to be um, baby boomers or greatest generation as it previously was. And there's no generation that's been more harmed uh, by student debt and more skeptical of the necessity and qualifications that come with, you know, just purely having a bachelor's degree versus having competency that I can look up online and actually test you on in an interview than millennials. And so I'm a deep believer, you know, being a millennial myself, uh, that, um, you know, when we look to hire, uh, it's really about, you know, like, can you get a foot in the door? It's not so much about, do you have a degree and what's the static uh, information on your resume? That's a great answer. So yeah. And anybody who's 18 listening to this realize that, you know, in a few years, the people sitting across that are the desk are going to be the people who are pissed off. (laughs) <laughs> the previous generation did it. <laughs> you, you had said the age range uh, ideally was from, I guess, 18 to 29. Yeah. And um, I get it because that that's kind of like when you're, you're building your life and um, uh, setting your trajectory. But do you think that on the early end of the spectrum, like 18, you know, perhaps like right after high school, is that ideally when you want them? Would you even say like, look, go – work at McDonald's, realize that it sucks yeah. and then come yeah. to us or. Yeah. I mean, we're at this stage, we're not heavily targeting students fresh out of high school. So like you won't see, you know, in 2017, you know, mission U booths at college career fairs for students on, you know, high school campuses. Um, you know, we do believe that, uh, the person that is right for mission U is what we define as a career starter. And so it's a person who's really eager to take the most direct path possible to get the most valuable learning so that they can set themselves up for success in their life and career um, in a professional way. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's pretty uh, rare, I would say. It's it's the outliers that are 18 and are thinking in that manner. And so we do encourage people like, you know, I, historically I've said, you know, our target is 19 to 29 because we mm-hmm. think that you'll benefit by spending at least a year outside of the confines of high school. But we have, I think, three, two, two to three students in the current cohort that are 18 and like, they're superstars. I mean, but they're outliers. So, so that, you know, I would say to somebody, unless you are exceptionally confident, you know, by the end of your senior year that, you know, that you want to get, you know, into the, the, you know, uh, a working great professional role as soon as possible, then yeah. it might benefit you to, you know, maybe go to college for a year or two, hopefully, you know, one that makes sense for you and your family financially without putting you in debt or, you know, more than likely try and get either a, a professional experience working somewhere so that, you know, either that you love it or, you know, there's a lot to be learned from doing jobs that suck and that you hate. And now, you know what you don't want to do or, you know, try and find apprenticeship or, you know, some ability to kind of leave your comfort zone and move to a new place and get a new experience. OK, but to, to go maybe a little further there is yeah. um, there's there's no cost up front. You know, hopefully we're, yep. we're going to pick them when they're young and they're hungry. Uh, but there is still this cost of either lost work. You know, Thomas is like in the prime cohort to be selected. But if he joined Mission U, he would lose out all of his earning capabilities. And then he also has to like feed himself, have some semblance of yeah. shelter. Like how, yeah. how does that kind of play out where colleges are like, sure. look, you'll pay for this later and we'll give you this ridiculous stipend. So you can just like live in a mansion or something. Yeah. I'm yeah. guessing that doesn't come with mission you. So how do you reconcile? Yeah. That? Yeah. So, so we designed the program for both affordability and flexibility. So uh, one of the requirements is any student that gets into a cohort, your cohort is based in a certain city. Our first cohort is based in the San Francisco Bay area. And the requirement is you have to live within 50 miles 
of your cohort city. So, you know, most colleges will say, uh, especially if they're residential, like you have to live in this campus area that, uh, you know, inevitably becomes very expensive. Oftentimes it's, you know, downtown parts of, of major urban centers. So we said, you know, 50 miles gives you plenty of options. If you can afford and you want to kind of bite the bullet and live in an expensive downtown area, more power to you. If you want to live in a really affordable place that's 35 you know, miles outside of the city, that's fine too. Um, and so uh, we don't provide dormitories or housing, but we provide them with a whole bunch of information to make that decision. And then the other piece is uh, the expectation on students is that they're going to commit about 40 hours a week to our program. So they're um, in a classroom type setting, uh, whether online or in person, uh, Monday through Friday from approximately about 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Some days it, it might go a little bit later, but it's only during the week. And then they have total flexibility. Uh, after that, and we encourage our students to, uh, if they want, to take on part-time jobs up to 20 hours a week. So the vast majority of our students have part-time jobs uh, that they're doing uh, around 20 hours a week so that they can support themselves and some of those costs of living. Yeah, that's awesome. That's yeah. exactly how I did it in college, 20 hours a week. Yeah, I mean, the, the other point I would make there is um, we talk to our students a lot about the opportunity cost of attending a higher education institution because it's another incurred cost that's kind of like silent, but we don't talk about and so it's, it's another reason where we think there's tremendous value in having a year long program of which a third of it is an internship. Right. Uh, in which you're earning some income uh, rather than, you know, four to six years completely removed from from the workforce. So those internships are paid during that final third. Yeah. So so we help the students identify. Um, but, you know, we, we've already identified a series of partners that uh, want to pay our interns. Um, and so, uh, you know, we, we believe that it'll be helpful to them. Certainly. Uh, another thing that's important here to, to talk about is like how we design the curriculum. So before we ever started uh, recruiting students, we were recruiting employer partners and our employer partners do three things. They advise us deeply on the curriculum. So we're constantly calibrating against the needs of industry and what we're hearing, you know, leading companies say, this is what I want. This is what I'm looking for hiring. This is the skills I need. Here's the tools they need to master. Here's the soft skills that that were um, character traits we're trying to identify. The second is we actually co-create. Uh, experiences and content. So like case studies, you know, on sites at companies where you actually go and get to visit a real company for the day, which I never got to do in my undergrad. And then the third part is they get early preferred access um, to the, you know, incredibly diverse uh, pipeline of talent that's coming out of Mission U. And uh, our employer partners currently uh, include Spotify, Lyft, Uber, Warby Parker, Casper, Harry's, et cetera, just, you know, a, a leading group of world-class companies that every time I speak to another millennial and I say, you know, what's your dream company? Uh, I, I hear one of these names. And so that's when we <laughs> went out and said, you know, um, how would you think about what you're looking to hire for? And so we started at the very you know, top and really the cream of the crop. And we've, you know, communicated to every one of our students, you know, you don't have a guaranteed job at one of these companies, but you're going to have about as good as a, a foot in the door and an opportunity to earn your own way into one of these companies as possible. You're going to get exposure to leadership and you know, frontline hiring folks and people that are data analysts and scientists uh, throughout your year, and you need to make the most of it. And we expect some of them to end up at those companies, and we expect some of them to end up in totally different parts of various industries, but they're all going to be exceptionally qualified by the end of the year. So you're bringing people in, Amazing. and you're, you're teaching them a very specific set of skills uh, that is, I'm sure... Uh, to some degree curated by the Spotify's and whatever of the world because these are the skills that they need and that they're looking for. 
Um, what sort of salaries are these people landing when they when they go to the Spotify or the Harry's? Is it like, look, like you're gonna do some awesome work and blah blah blah, and we're gonna pay you twenty five k a year because <laughs> no. you're just like nineteen <laughs> and whatever? Or are they no, like, are they earning like legit data analyst salary? Like, yeah. Yeah. The competitive um, with someone who went to school for four years and slogged through it type thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so one thing to keep in mind is, you know, currently we, we have uh, our first cohort um, started uh, in September of 2017. We're currently running admissions for our second cohort, which will start in January. Uh, we have three start dates throughout the year. So there's always open admissions essentially. So January, May, and September, and we're going to open up new cities in, in 2018 as well. But um, I mean, in San Francisco, a data analyst makes on average between eighty and ninety thousand dollars. Wow! Um, and you know, the uh, you know, talking to Spotify, we were scoping out a specific role that we really wanted to target for our students. That was an eighty-five thousand dollar a year starting salary. Um, you know, in certain cities outside of you know, call it New York and San Francisco, salaries might be closer to sixty to seventy thousand um, dollars. But in you know, a New York San Francisco environment, it can be eighty to a hundred or even higher. And that's so, what we're targeting. Look. That, that number is fucking awesome and excites me. And uh, if I could get in front of you and talk to you, I will impress the shit out of you. I am as hungry as it comes, but I don't have a pedigree. Like I don't mm, – like on paper, I don't look like this awesome – you know, I, I had like, I don't know, B average in high school. So what is like – Again, we don't look at any of that. So, well, so, I, I know. And I, I guess from yeah. me, like listening as like the yeah. skeptic, like mm. I know that no one will work harder than me. But how do I get yeah. my face in front of you to, to show you that? Yeah. So it's very simple. Um, you go to Mission U, which is just the letter U, not Y-O-U. But you go to missionu.com slash apply and you fill out the first step of the application, which is just ask you a lot about your background. Right. The second step is a very tough set of questions. And. I'll be transparent for your listeners in a way that I am not with most. Um, what we want to see is that you're going to complete that challenge. That's just as important to us as whether you get every single answer right. There is a threshold by which you have to surpass, but what's way more important to us is that you have the grit and the resilience and the tenacity to finish something that might be harder than you expected it to be. Mm. And then after that, if you perform well in the group interview, you know, then you're onto an individual interview. And at that point, if what really surfaces to us are these core traits that we're looking for that I've articulated across the course of this conversation, you know, you're going to get an offer to come and join Mission U. And then, you know, there's like a really, really low um, deposit. It's $250 just to hold your spot. It gets credited towards your income share agreement at the end of the year. And then, you know, you would be accepted into a cohort. And one, one other thing that I'll even often offer to your listenership is if there's anyone that listens to this and goes to missionu.com slash apply, uh, at the end of that first step, it'll ask how you heard uh, about um, the the program. And if you share that you heard about it through this podcast, we'll give you $500 uh, of credit towards that income share agreement at the end of the year uh, if you get in and are successful. Wow. Like we'll give you literally a free 500 bucks. I didn't even have to uh, ask you for that. <laughs> no, no, it's you know, just just for your uh, anyone that that learned about it um, on this podcast, just because um, I'm excited about what you guys are doing and the type of people that you're engaging. It's it's the exact type of student we want. Well, that's awesome. I, I should probably coach you on negotiation. That was like a poor, <laughs> but I, 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 I will be a second cohort. <laughs> no, that that's actually truthfully uh, the last six weeks of the program we we call career launch. And so you know, you think about traditional college, it's like you go to school. Um, and you pay all this money and then 
you know, at the very last second, they're like, oh, we have this career services center and there's like two you know, elderly people working there that may or may not be able to help you get a job. And it's like this, you know, afterthought and you're kind of on your own. And, and we designed our year separately. So graduation actually uh, occurs six weeks before the program ends. And then the next six weeks, you're in what we call career launch or we coach you through everything that includes uh, uh, interview preparation, role playing all the way through to salary negotiation once you actually get a job offer, which oh very God. few people have ever received. Okay, I, right. I, I, I want to. I gotta talk with you later. I gotta advertise <laughs> this to a zillion people. I, I want to poke one more hole or, or yeah. attempt to poke a hole in this. Sure. Uh, yeah. That's my job. So yeah. you, you went through the process, whatever. Um, personally, I, I think like as I've gotten older, I'm like more forced of like an extrovert. Like I was mm -hmm. probably more introvert, and my ideal situation is like no people in a room in the darkness, like coding or playing games, like. I'm not like, uh, let's go talk in a big group, but you have this group interview area. Does, does mm -hmm. that, uh, penalize introverts? No, no. So, um, we actually, uh, have a couple methods that we put in place, um, where we, uh, surface, um, a couple different methods and I, I don't want to share them because I, I you don't want to give away the there. answers. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, but this is something that was really big to us. I would say about half of our staff are naturally introverts. And so this surfaced really early on we were talking about assessment and, um, in, in the application process. And so, you know, one thing I can tell you like insider secret, if you go through our interview process and you talk, uh, way more than anybody else on the group interview, you're probably not getting into mission yet because that's not the person that somebody wants to hire one day, right? Is the person who just can't stop talking. Um, so we, we actually um, reward collaboration really heavily. And oftentimes, um, yeah, I don't want to over reveal this, but don't, if, if, don't. Somebody is, if somebody is super, super quiet and doesn't say much, but we see other elements where we think they're really strong potential, um, there are opportunities where they may get uh, uh, brought through to an individual interview so that we can see how they perform individually if we see other elements of really high potential throughout the rest of the application process. Gotcha. That's awesome. That is, I mean, yeah, that is absolutely uh, awesome. I guess I always feel like I, when I was younger, maybe lost out because I wasn't so aggressive, right? I don't even yeah, know what that. No, totally. I know. I, I fall in the same camp. I mean, you know, I'm, I, I was, uh, I am a middle child, and you tend to be more like observational than needing to kind of like jump out first, and so. Um, it was something that was big for all of us. And I, I literally was talking to our um, admissions manager two weeks ago and and uh, he was saying like, we had this four person interview, one person probably spoke for 35 out of 40 minutes. And there was one woman in the interview who was just really, really strong. And you know she didn't say much, but I'm really curious to see how she'll perform in the individual interview. So I'd like to advance her. And I was like, yeah, absolutely we should. That is awesome. <laughs> I'm uh, just like Adam, how much in. time do you have left? Uh, not much. I'm, I, I, so, so believe it or not, we actually um, uh, essentially have our, our students um, at orientation. So uh, most of the program is done online, but it's live virtual classrooms. It's either like pre-recorded lectures, and then you come together in person with your cohort every other week. But it starts at the four-day in-person orientation. And uh, today is actually the last day of orientation, and uh, they've been designing uh, presentations that myself and a group of uh, judges from like great companies are, are going to uh, judge. So I, I got to leave. <laughs> sure. that is, that's totally cool. Adam, thank you for coming to the show. Um, maybe a year from now when we have some data, when you have some case studies of people being hired by companies, it would be great to have you back on and be able to. I love that. Story. 
That would I mean, be great. obviously the first cohort just started, right? Yeah, yeah, and maybe even, uh, you know, if you guys wanted, you know, you could interview one of our students at some point. They could kind of tell you about the experience. Absolutely. That um, would be awesome. I would love to. Yeah, yeah, we can maybe find a way to, to have you ask them about what the experience has been like kind of midway through the program or um, whenever it makes the most sense for, for you all. But, you know, for anyone listening, again, I just encourage you, just go to missionu.com, um, M-I-S-S-I-O-N-U.com. Um, and if you listen to this and something really resonates, uh, my email, uh, uh, that, um, is easiest to reach me at is just Adam at, and then the letter I promise.org. So, uh, Adam at I P R O M I S E dot O R G. I'm not going to edit that out and I'm so sorry. No, no, it's fine. Gave it's that fine. No, 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 no. I, 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 I purposely give it out in case this really deeply resonates with somebody and they want to reach out to me. I'm, I, I prefer to be accessible. Cool. Great. Yeah. Well guys, we'll have all those links in the show notes. I am really excited about this project. So. Hopefully you are as well. Go check those links out. Go check out missionu.com. And thanks for listening. Um, as always, as I say at the end of every episode, you can find our favorite tools over at listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. So check that out if you are trying to improve your finances. Um, I would not find it odd if Mission U ends up on that page at some point in the future. <laughs> anyway, thanks again for listening, and we will see you all next week. Bye. Later, man. Please tell your friends about this show. <laughs>